which is verse 14. Psalms 19, verse 14. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. A few weeks ago, we actually looked at, in our evening service, we looked at David's petition in verse 13. And in verse 13, David petitions the Lord that he would keep him from presumptuous sin and that he would not allow those presumptuous sins to have dominion over him. And this morning, what I want to do is look at another petition which actually closes out this great psalm of David. And here, uh, in both of these petitions, by the way, both the one in verse 13 and verse 14, are born out of an appreciation that David expresses for God's word, which is found in verses 7 through 11. The first part of the, the psalm, verses 1 through 6, David refers to what we call natural revelation, and that is God's revelation of himself in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God, etc. But then in verses 7 through 11, he extols the beauty and the purpose and the virtue of God's written word, the scriptures. And of course, the written word can be divided along two lines, and that is law and gospel. And I would argue that in these verses, David acknowledges God's gift of his word in terms of law as well as in terms of the gospel. Now, among the things that he says about God's word is in verse 8, he says that God's word enlightens the eyes. It enlightens the eyes. Now, of course, he's not just saying anyone who reads God's word will have their eyes enlightened. That's not what he is alluding to. Actually, I think what he's doing is giving us a good summary of the ministry of the Spirit through the ministry of the Word. That's certainly what we see throughout Scriptures. Paul acknowledges this in the New Testament, that the ministry of the Spirit, the ordinary ministry of the Spirit for the people of God, is connected to the ministry of the Word. In other words, as we read the scriptures as the people of God, it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who enlightens us. He enlightens the eyes of the righteous to recognize God's holy word. We see this throughout in verse 9, for instance, of, of this psalm. David indicates if we are talking about the enlightening of the Spirit, the enlightenment of the Spirit causes God's people, when the law is expounded according to verse 9, then the people of God's eyes are enlightened to recognize in the law of God the righteous rules that he has established for human conduct. We can't see that unless it's, it's through the enlightening of the Spirit. We might see some good practical advice, but when God's law is expounded and the Holy Spirit ministers to the heart of the people, then they recognize that these aren't recommendations. This isn't what we should do. This is what we must do in order to stand before a holy God. So therefore, we understand that in verse 9, that God's law, God's word, represents the right rule for all of our conduct. Then according to verse 12, I think we can infer rightly that um, it is the enlightening of the Holy Spirit 
in the expounding of God's law that allows a person to identify and discern their errors. You see, it's the Spirit of God through the ministry of the Word as the law is expounded. As God's people hear the law expounded, we are not just made mindful of the sin that's in the world. We are mindful of the sin that's in us. That's what Paul says. He says, I wouldn't have known I was coveting if it weren't for the the law of God. And that's through the illumination of the Spirit. It's, It's interesting to note about Paul's confession that he makes in Romans because people argue whether Romans chapter 7 refers to his conduct before he was a believer or after. In actuality, if you understand Paul's assessment of himself before the fall or before his conversion, he says in Philippians, according to the law, he was perfect. But then when he was convicted by God's spirit and granted a renewed, uh, a, a new life, then when he saw in the law, what he saw was his own guilt staring back at him. It is through a proper understanding of the law, through the ministry of the Spirit, that we see not only our errors, but I love this, our hidden sins. It's the Spirit, through the ministry of the law, that our sins are exposed. Not just those things that folks see and they know about us. It's the secret sins. And then also, as the gospel is opened up, As the gospel is expounded, the spirit enlightens the believer that they are able to know, so that they are able to know, I should say, that Christ is the servant of God who has met everything that the law has demanded and the elect are given to Christ as a reward even as the righteousness of Christ is given to us as a reward. So therefore, the believers who read God's word, who have God's word expounded to them, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, enlightens us to see our guilt as the law is expounded, and the Holy Spirit enlightens our eyes to see the fullness and the sufficiency of God's grace as the gospel is expounded. Now, with this understanding of God's word... This, this understanding of God's word as law, command, is the enlightening of the spirit. And this understanding of God's word of promise, gospel, is again the result of the work of the spirit. And it's this understanding of law and gospel that causes David to make the petitions that we see in verses 13 and 14. So let's look at, at uh, this twofold petition because it, it actually is, it does consist in two parts. The petition that he raises to the Lord in verse 14 is, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you or in your sight. And I love the, even the way he closes it. He says, O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Now, I want to divide this along four lines. The first thing that we want to look at, or the first thing we want to make note of, is that this petition reflects the fact that the Spirit has enlightened David to see in the law of God the high standard that God holds for his image bearers. David is able to see the high standard 
that God uh, holds his image bearers to um, when it comes to our words and when it comes to our thoughts. God doesn't just, he doesn't want us to not just lie and we'll see that. But God, God holds his image bearers to a very high standard when it comes to the words that we speak as well as the thoughts that we allow to take coverage or cover in our hearts. In Psalms 51, verse 6, same author David says this, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in, in my secret heart. In Psalms 24, uh, in answer to the question, who can ascend to the holy place of the Lord? David answers, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. Or as some would have it, those who do not or whose, in whose mouth there is no guile. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says that in the day of judgment, men will have to give an account for every careless word. And the same is true for human thoughts. We, we have to take control or we have to take responsibility, not just for the words that we speak, but the very thoughts that we harbor. This is what the elders mean when they say, when they talk about sin. They say we, we, um, we, we, are, we sin in thought, in word, and in deed. So generally, when we physically perform an, a, a sinful act, that's the last, that's the finishing touch. We've already become the architects of it in our thoughts and somehow, whether it's the words that are spoken or unspoken, we have already okayed it. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks, so is he. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that lustful thoughts are equivalent to lustful deeds. Being a man, therefore, devoted to the word of God as David was. Surely the Holy Spirit has enlightened his eyes to see this high standard that God holds his image bearers to. In the day of judgment, those who stand and have to answer before God, they will not just be able to say, well, no, I didn't do this, I didn't do the other. God is not just asking what we have done with our hands, but he has created us to represent him and to reflect him. In the words that we speak, and even in the thoughts that occupy our inner being, God holds us accountable to a very high standard. It's not on a curve, but he holds us to a high standard. He has created us, he created Adam with the ability to speak as he ought. And he created Adam with the capacity to think in a manner that reflects the image of the one in whose image or in the one uh, that he bears that image. So therefore, the first thing that we see in this, in this petition on the part of David is that the Holy Spirit has enlightened the eyes of this servant of God so that he could see the high standard 
to which God holds his image bearer. And that's why David says, Lord, let the very words of my mouth and the very thoughts of my heart be acceptable to you. That brings us to a second thing. The Holy Spirit has also enlightened David. If he has enlightened him to a high standard that God calls us to, then obviously the Spirit has enlightened David to see the impurity of his words. Surely the Holy Spirit has convicted David of the very fact that the thoughts that he has allowed to take refuge in his mind are not always what they ought to be. That's why he makes this petition. In Psalms 39, verse 1, which we looked at last week uh, in our evening service, David confesses the need to muzzle his mouth because he understands that in him there is certainly the possibility of even this, this, this author of most of the Psalms, the most dominant author of the Psalms in the Scriptures, who writes beautifully and eloquently of God's grace and what it means to be a child of God. He knows that even he is capable of speaking things that ought not be spoken. And so he says, when it came to his period of distress, he says, I, I, I had to put a muzzle on my mouth. And then I still didn't almost keep silent. I, I, had to, I, had to make a, I had to make a concerted effort to not say what I should have said. And now David is confessing here that the very thought of saying something that he ought to be restrained from is something wrong with that. The Spirit has revealed to him that his words and that his thoughts have not always been what they ought to be. Brothers and sisters, let's... Have we really thought about how egregious the sins of speech and thought are in the human being? Have we really thought about it? I know we, we, give, we give much credence to all of the physical sins, all the juicy stuff, all the obvious stuff, all the blatant stuff. But sometimes we can be, and, and we, point, we are quick to point our fingers, look at him and look at someone else's actions And God, at the same time, sheds the spotlight on the innermost parts of our being so that even that which we have restrained our hands from doing, our thoughts have taken us places that we ought not be, and our words have defiled the very God that we claim that we love. And we do love. Understand the various terms that are used, and the same could be true of our thoughts, but look at all of the different ways that we can sin with our tongue. We know, obviously, from the, from the Ten Commandments that lying, lying is, is, is in a, it's, a, it's a misuse of God's gift of speech, and it defiles us. Now you can even go down into what does it really mean to lie. And and so we are told in the Mosaic Law, not just lying, bearing false witness. So you say, well, isn't that lying? Well, it's a subdivision. It's a subdivision. But those aren't the only things. Bearing false witness. Gossip. We, are, we speak of gossip as, a, as an industry and as, oh, that's just what humans do. God speaks of it in malicious and malignant terms. Not just gossip, backbiting, grumbling, blasphemy, false, false prophecy, malicious words, deceitful words, enticing words. 
These only name a few of the egregious misuses of speech that God's people are prone to. And understand, brothers and sisters, sins of speech is not just the words that we speak. It's not just the words that are spoken. But sins of speech for the image bearers of God also have to do with the words that are withheld. You see, we are told that we are to speak comfort to one another. We are told that we are to lovingly rebuke one another when someone is overtaken in sin. And so when we withhold from a brother or a sister words of comfort when we know they hurt, when we withhold from brothers and sisters lovingly rebuke or loving rebuke when we know that they are overtaken in sin, when we withhold words of gratitude, then we are guilty of what what David says, let the words of my mouth, not just the words that come out, but make sure the words that come out are the right words. And make me, don't let me be silent when I need to be graciously present with the gift of speech. Brothers and sisters, I know some people say, well, you know, I'm, just, I'm just not going to say anything. Listen, when you say it that way, then you you may as well say it. Well, I, I'm I know, but I'm just not going to say. It. You have said it, and that's what you are accountable for. That's what that's what David is, is is thinking of here. He says, "Lord, let the words that I speak, let the words that I that I own up to, let them be what they ought to be. Let me say what I ought to say and refrain from saying what I shouldn't say and that which I shouldn't say, don't even let it grow up as a wayward thought in my heart. Brothers and sisters, we sin in speech when we say what we ought not say, but we also sin in our speech when we have the facility and the ability to speak words of encouragement And we do not. When we have the opportunity to speak words of refreshment. And we do not. One of the things. And I I don't think we have to be legalistic about this. But when Paul in Colossians 3. And he talks about us singing the word. The singing the words of Christ to one another. That's one argument for, for corporate singing. And we don't have the right. That's pride when we say, but I can't sing. But God says sing. He didn't say sing well. He said sing. It's not about you. You're not auditioning. This isn't America's got talent. This is the church's got grace. He says sing the word of God to one another. There may be a hurting brother or sister standing next to you. And when you sing and we are singing, it is well with my soul. They may not have the strength to utter it. Speak that into them. Because that may be the very tool that God uses to calm an internal storm in their own soul. Brothers and sisters, David, the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that God has given us the gift of speech and he's given us the ability to think. 
And that is a high standard that he holds us to. That our words and our thoughts would be regulated and by, by, the, by the God who gave us those abilities. And that our words and our thoughts would always reflect the one who gave us the gift. Brothers and sisters, there's never a time where it's okay for ungodly thoughts to be at comfort in the heart of the regenerate. There's never a time. We say, oh, but I don't, nobody thinks what they, that's true. No one thinks what they ought to think every time. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is the standard to which God holds us. Here's the third thing. In offering this petition, David is also aware of the fact that the sins of word and thought are covered by the grace of God. He is conscious of that. He must be conscious of it because he he is asking God by confessing here, by saying, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable to you. What he's acknowledging is that they're not. And he knows that, that even though they are not, he understands that there is grace in God. And the grace of God extends to everything that he has required. I've often quoted, and, and I, I, I should probably, it's a good thing I don't have to pay uh, royalty to my good friend Rod Rosenblatt, who taught us years ago went to a good way to distinguish law and gospel is law is everything that God has required. And the gospel is everything that God gives. But what he gives in the gospel is what he requires in the law. So God has required pure words, pure thoughts in the law. And what he gives us in the gospel is the benefit of the pure words and the pure thought. Of Jesus whose mouth has not been given over to guile. And brothers and sisters recognizing the distance between the actual words and thoughts of ourselves. And the words and thoughts of Christ that covers us. That gives us plenty of time and plenty of room to confess. And what David is doing here is confessing. What he does in Psalms 39 verse 1 is confessing. I had to put a muzzle on my mouth because my heart was was in the wrong place. What he's doing is confessing. And the more we recognize that what what God requires in his law, he has given us in the gospel, we can therefore confess our failures. And the reason we can confess is because we know that in the gospel, The condemnation that we deserve for our failure to reflect and represent God properly in word and thought has already been met in Jesus who allows us to speak. So therefore we can confess. And that's what David is doing here. And by the way, brothers and sisters, as the people of God, we should confess. And we don't, that doesn't mean you have to tell everybody. In fact, I love what it says, what Paul says in Galatians, those who have been overtaken in sin should be restored. And he says, by those who are mature. Because some folks, they just don't need to know. They're just not mature enough. When we confess, we can't be squeamish. 
That's one thing you learn. You cannot be squeamish when, 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 you are, when you are confessing and when you are being confessed to. You can't be squeamish. We got to hear it and not bat an eye. Not, we can't, no, no sound effects. <laughs> None of this, oh, oh man, oh, oh, okay, wait a minute. No, no, we, we when God, when, and, and that's the way we should be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, there are, um, trust me, I am not Roman Catholic, but one of the advantages of, of the Roman Catholic system when, of, of confession, and I remember R.C. Sproul used to always make this point, that we are, act like, oh, well, we're not Catholic, so we don't have to, to confess. He says the confessional booth is one of the healthiest parts of the Roman Catholic system. There is something about going in and saying with our mouths, I have sinned, I have been lustful. I have, I have committed fornication. I have, I have committed adultery. I have lied this week. Instead of us saying, well, forgive me of my sins. You know them. <laughs> right? You, you know what they are. You, you are the all-knowing God after all, right? <laughs> I don't need to tell you. You already know. <laughs> you saw it when it was far off. So it ain't no sense in us just going, messing up words. God wants us to be pricked in the heart so that when we leave a situation, we can say, Lord, I saw sister so-and-so over there. Forgive me. Because I consciously went out of my way not to speak to her. We can say that. We can boldly go before the Lord and confess our sins of thought. You might want to make sure nobody else is in the room, but that's okay, God. Say it. And we learn this wonderful example from David, this godly man. This man who speaks so profoundly and poetically about his faith. And he says, Lord, please let the very words that come out of my mouth and let the very thoughts that season my heart. Let them be acceptable to you. My Lord, my, my rock, and my redeemer. What does he redeem us from? He redeems us from, among other things, ungodly words and ungodly thoughts. David's, fourthly, David's conscious desire to have his words and thoughts be acceptable to God is not because he fears condemnation. He says, no, that's not it at all. No, so, so it's not that he, he is fearful that God would, is going to strike him down. No, it, it, what, what, what drives him to be conscientious of his very words and his very thoughts is the knowledge that God has already pardoned him. A few weeks ago, we preached from Job at a funeral where Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And we make the observation that the only one who is conscious of a Redeemer are those who know they need one. 
David is acknowledging the fact that he needs a redeemer and that God is his redeemer and what God has redeemed him from are all of the sins of his heart and his tongue, not not to mention everything else. And so this consciousness that God is his redeemer is the consciousness that he will not be condemned on the day of judgment. He is not included in the group that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 12, 36, where he speaks of those on the day of judgment, they will have to give an account for every careless word. The reason we know is because Jesus, not only has he kept the command, but he's atoned for our failure. Therefore, David is not motivated to to, to purify his speech so that he could be saved. He is asking God, because I'm saved, help me speak better. Help me think better. You're the only one that can do it. Because as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And just when I think it's tuned to the right frequency... Here comes something else. Let me just close with a series of statements that we see in the New Testament that talk about both our speech as well as our thoughts. I want to begin with where we left off in in our call to worship, which was Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I want to pick up in verse 8. In verse 8, here's what, what Paul says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, so as you are bombarded with whatever else you get in the world and in your own world, Think about the things that are noble and worthy. But not only that, look at what David says, or or Paul says uh, also in Colossians, and I'll just cite these passages. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, or that you may know how to answer each person. He also says in Colossians, Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, um, then seek things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. But here's the one that I love is what he says in Ephesians, let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to the hearers here's what David is asking Lord every time I open my mouth let whoever hears me let them hear grace doesn't matter the subject, doesn't matter who, but let the words that come out of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. 
Let the words, let the, let the very thoughts that I've grown comfortable with, let the only thing that I'm comfortable with is that which pleases you. Why? Not because I'm afraid of you as a fearful judge, but let my words and my thoughts be acceptable to you because you're my rock and because you're my redeemer. And because you're my God. Let's pray. Gracious God. We come to you in Jesus' name.